This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 30th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, uh, Charlie Cusimano, and I was at WRHU uh, for two and a half years uh, from 1988 to uh, 1990. And what shows and programs did you work on at WRHU? Um, I worked on a little bit of everything. Um, uh, I kind of ended up specializing in uh, audio production, multi-layer radio theater. But I mean, you know, when you, I, I did a lot of sports. I, I kind of started out in the sports world, but I wasn't really a sports guy. I was more of a jock that wanted to be in sports. But um, I, I wanted to learn. I transferred into Hofstra, so I really kind of threw myself into everything. And they kind of, you know, push you that idea, you know, learn from everything. So I did a little bit of everything. Okay. Did you have any titles or positions of management at the station? Um, you know, I saw that you asked that to other questions. I may have had like an engineering title. I don't know if there was like, which was kind of like a scheduling the guys who were engineering, but, um, I never really did. I worked my way up pretty quickly. And, um, I had heard that at my last semester, which was only going to be a half semester that Jeff was surprised that I didn't ask to be the station manager or something. And I was kind of sort of checked out that last half semester and I, I didn't want that much responsibility. So I had done a lot of things and I'd spent the summer there doing a ton of work um, bef- that year. And um, But no, no real major positions. I kind of was involved in a lot of different things, though. Okay. Uh, that title might have been executive engineer. Might have been, yes. Okay. Because the, the chief engineer is in charge of the, 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 the transmitter, executive engineer, yeah, yeah, make sure that. that there's a, a board op available. Yes. So. I think I may have been that for a little while, but I don't remember doing much. Okay. Um, did you have any nicknames or aliases while you were on the air? No, I may have. No, not really. I think when I did jazz a few times, I might have been Chaz on jazz, which was kind of silly. <laughs> but no, I, I stuck with my name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, okay. So you alluded to this, that you, you transferred in, um, to the station. This is a two part question and answer, however it makes sense in your head. But, uh, what was it that first brought you to Hofstra radio? And then if you could describe what it was like when you got there, where it was, maybe people that you met and, and what you saw and heard when you first got to the station. Right, right. So yes, I transferred in from Stony Brook university and, uh, someone had told me that Hofstra had a great communications program and and the TV station has re- the reputation had really taken off. And uh, so I got in and I just I don't remember how I heard about the radio station. I honestly don't. But I do remember walking down that ramp into that room. And I remember passing the music room. The music office was like the last room on the right before you got I think it was the last room on the right before you got to the main office underneath Memorial Hall. And I just remember seeing all the records going, wow, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think Rob Uzzin was in there, but who knows? And, and Eliana Baslow, I think they kind of lived in that room. Right. Um, but and I just remember going in there and there was a lot of desks and, um, you know, kind of those old school metal teachers desks, you know, with the drawers and. Um, kind of crappy fluorescent lighting and, but it had a very warm and friendly environment is what I remember. I don't remember who I met first. I kind of gravitated towards the sports guys. I think I went to them right away and said, what do I need to do to be involved? I was kind of aggressive and a bit of a go-getter 
um, maybe it's too much or not, but that's just the way I was. I was, I, I really, because I would transfer and I really wanted to sort of catch up. So I, I really threw myself in there right away. Was there like a general interest meeting or did you just show up at the offices one day between classes? I think I just showed up. I don't recall going to any kind of a meeting or anything. I may have met, I may have met somebody at, um, you know, in the union, they may have had a thing up, you know, like right. a different, you you almost like a flea market for at groups. I, I may have met somebody and said, somebody has someone come down. I, it's unfortunately, it's very foggy. Okay. Okay, fair enough. The, the The point is is that you made it there. Now, when you were at Stony Brook, was there any kind of radio station or communications program there? There was, but I didn't get involved with it. Um, I was I was commuting, and um, I don't know. I was just didn't have a focus, and I finally buckled down and said, "You know what? I really want to do this. I think I want to do this for a living." And then that's why I went to to Hofstra because Stony Brook's was not very good. So what was it that attracted you to it that, you know, at, at 18, 19 years old, you're saying, I want to do this as a career. And if you're not getting a lot of experience at Stony Brook, what's pulling you in? What's attracting you to, to want, want to do this? I, you know, I think it was just, I always loved movies and, um, and the entertainment value of it. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly, but I always loved radio too. I used to tape radio. I used to tape pop radio, you know, and I love mm-hmm. DJs and I, I still love radio today. I, my kids like listening to playlists and I like the spontaneity of radio. I like, you don't know what's coming on next, that you don't know what the next song is kind of. And I still like that about radio, whether it's Sirius XM or regular FM that you're listening to today. Um, so I, to go back to your question, um, I don't know. I was just kind of driven to be in this world. I, I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so you get there at the station, you're introducing yourself, you're, you're getting involved in the sports department. Were there any kind of training classes? Was there an introduction to say, this is how you get on the air? This is how you run the board? Or was it learned by example? You know, they had a class that you had to take. I mean, plus I was taking radio production classes. So you know, and then if you wanted to be on the air, you had to take, you had to get licensed by the FCC. Um, I mean, I, I remember the the real to real class where I mm-hmm. think it was somebody was reading one through ten out of order, and you had to cut the quarter inch to put it in the order of one through ten. So it's basic audio cutting, you know, quarter inch uh, tape. And yes, there were classes. I don't remember there being um, broadcast diction classes or. Um, like an announcer class, but you had to get cleared and you had to take a test to get the FCC. You had to apply and we got that yellow card that was the FCC license. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the counting thing, I think that was part of the the uh, COM 21 basic right. production class. Right, and the, right, right. Um, so that would have been the, the, the two-track studio in Memorial Hall. Yes. Was it do you remember was it was it a four track studio next door or had it gone to the multi-track yet? It had gone to the I believe it was four track and and then when I, my senior year, we had the eight track. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't remember if yeah. it was the four track or not. I have to track down the exact year that happened, but, um, yeah, I, sometime between the time you got there and the time I got there, things had shifted a little bit. So yeah. we can narrow, we can narrow that down a little bit. Um, do you remember getting on the air the first time or any of your experiences? And if not the specific time, yeah. do you remember your feeling about getting on the air? 
I remember being excited about being on air. I don't remember the first time. I'm sure it was just probably a news update or a sports update, and I wasn't running both the board and and the the mic because um, that's the kind of how you work your way up. So you could read news off the off, do a news update and whatever. So that was good. I do remember kind of the first time I did a show. I think it was a. Uh, I did a jazz show one night and it was during a dinner. I swear it was a fall dinner for something, but everybody else was gone. So they asked me if I would do a jazz show and they were all listening on the way back or on the way there or something. And they were like, Oh, you did a really nice job. And I was kind of into it and I didn't know Jack about jazz. So it was a nice learning experience to learn about jazz and kind of audition records. And you just kind of, they didn't have a playlist. You kind of picked what you wanted and go with it. I don't remember being all that nervous. I was kind of, like I said, I was very confident. I went in maybe a little cocky at times, but the adults in the room kept me at bay. But generally they kind of, you know, if, if you asked and you pushed, you you could at least get a tryout. And if you weren't good, they would, you know, hold, you know, tell you, I think. But I seemed to be okay. And nobody ever really, you know, gave me any, you know, red lights or anything and kind of moved along pretty quickly. So when you mentioned the adults in the room, uh, I, I'm assuming you're talking about Jeff Krause and Sue Zizza. Yeah, was- well, and plus the other experienced people there, Stu Rushfeld and, and Tony Sibilla were at the end of, you know, they had been there for four years and Rich Radabali and um, yes, but yeah, Jeff and Sue for sure. Um, they They didn't oversee me too much. I felt like the other communication students were probably would have been more vocal than they would. Jeff, of course, would be, but he was pretty easygoing with me. Um, a lot of people describe being kind of intimidated by Jeff's presence. He had that desk in the corner and uh, the glasses and the pipe and the beard and the voice. Um, you came in, like you said, pretty aggressive. Did you remember going up talking to him or was it just sort of, it, it just kind of happened at some point in the, in the course of events? Yeah, I think it just kind of happened. We kind of got along pretty well. He he kind of reminded me of my dad a little bit. My father's a teacher and my, he's kind of a serious teacher. So he taught earth science. And he, uh, so Jeff reminded me of that a little bit. And um, so, yes, he could be intimidating for sure. And he was he was very great, great man to, to learn from and to talk to. And just, uh, yes, a stoic, but also a, a pussycat underneath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. That's that's probably the first time I've heard that description of Jeff Krause, but I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so let's talk a little bit about getting started with the sports department. You mentioned uh, Tony and Stu. Do you remember getting pulled into doing games or, or updates? What was that about? Yes, yes. They were very they were very nice to me, and I wasn't really very good at it. And they gave me they offered me the opportunity to do color commentary for Kings Point. Early on, I think it was just my first year there because I one of my best friends from high school was like the leading uh, tackler on King's Point. So I maybe had mentioned that to them. I guess I did. And Stu asked me if I would do it. And I was like, yes. And, and I was actually I had a car so I could drive to King's Point and I knew how to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being from Long Island. So, um, but I didn't do, I don't think I did a great job. I didn't talk a lot. And Stu was very nice at the end. He said, yeah, you just could have talked a little more. Um, and that was all he said. So that was a good learning experience. I was nervous for that. And I don't think I mentioned my friend's name enough. Like I could have been more outgoing like I am now. And I think I was pretty reserved. 
So was it just that you weren't necessarily experienced in calling a game like that or was exactly. it nerves or, or I have a combination? no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but Stu was doing the play by play. Yes. And uh, yes, he was <laughs> probably not happily. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but that was your, your first entrance in, into being on the air. Yeah. And, doing and I had played thing. football in high school, so I thought it would be easy, you know, and I, and I muddled my way through it and it was fine. But, you know, that was his only comment. You could have talked a little more. But, I mean, it, I, I, I remember getting in the car and saying, oh, did you go out last night? He's like, no, I was, you know, studying for the game. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I had probably gone out the night before. And, like, I immediately learned the difference between a real sports guy and a jock that thought he could be a sports guy. Uh, you know, you had to stay up and memorize the numbers and know all this stuff. And you learn that very, very quickly when, when you meet guys who are good at, and pros at what they do. Um, was that the last time you called the game or was that just a learning curve? Uh, it was a learning curve. I got thrown into basketball, which is actually even worse. So I quickly became the engineer back at the studio. <laughs> <laughs> that was much better at the tech side than, than some of the broadcasting in sports. And they were nice enough to kind of suffer me, but, um, they would bust my chops because I would mispronounce names and Steve Oling and Goldman. And they, they, they liked I was I was a butt of jokes I think behind the backs. So. <laughs> so. But it is really important to have a good engineer back in the studio to make sure that those guys get on the air. So exactly, exactly. So so you found your role after a little while. So you realize you're not going to be the next uh, John Madden doing color commentary, and you you alluded before that you started to look into other departments and doing a jazz show and other things. What was that experience like? What what were? It, it was just fun learning. You know, I did classical music. My father uh, always played classical music on on road trips, so I listened. I actually knew some classical music. So I, whatever you needed, I would could do it. Like I lived down at the radio station as much as I could, and I did a lot of TV work too. But the, I found the difference between TV and radio. Radio was much more accessible at that time. It was more low key. TV was very hierarchy. You had to work your way up. You had to take all these classes, which was fine. I get it. It was the a big fancy station. Um, but radio, you could go in there and say, Hey, I want to do this. And they'd be like, okay, here's how you do it. Make sure you do it right. So, you know, you, you learn and I enjoyed doing all of it. Um, we had a new age. I don't know if you remember they had new age mm -hmm. music from eight to 11, like every night. And we were pushing for rock and roll. Like, wow, who's listening to this new age. So finally we, we kind of just talked them into it. I don't remember. I think it would took a year of new age. And then maybe Andrew Schmertz pushed for it or mm -hmm. Jason Levy. I don't know. He might've, maybe it was Joe Lavecki. I don't remember, but we got, we got converted to rock and roll on Thursdays from eight to 11. And that was really fun because new age was, it was fine, but man, it was putting everybody to sleep. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to a few people who worked on the new age images show. And it, at first it had been one night a week. And then I guess there was something of, Know, a following or an audience and they expanded it to five nights and then yeah. uh like you said there was that transition to what became known as rock solid yeah i think rock solid 88 7 was was the name of the show um you know you've, you've you've mentioned a number of names and it seems like you jumped in right away what did you feel comfortable right away was there a moment or an occasion where you thought yeah i really like being with these people i like being in this environment i'm going to do more of this Yes. I mean, right away, they were all friendly. They were all very welcoming. I mean, it's nice to be able to go someplace where, you know, it was like Cheers, where everybody knows your name. You know, you walk right. in, you're like, hey, you know, and 
um, it, it was a fun environment and you had a lot of different personalities and um, a, a wide variety of personalities. And Jeff kind of oversaw all this very quietly over there. And you might not know he was listening, but he always seemed like he was doing some kind of paperwork, but he was, uh, you know, the hawk in the, in the sky watching uh, everything. And Sue was more kind of the, the, Sue would probably come down on you more than anybody, more than he would. Uh, I think a little bit, she was a little more vocal about, you know, do this better or do that better. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. A, a number of people have, have various stories about getting the, the phone call in the, in the on-air studio from Jeff, you know, why is there dead air? Why did you pronounce it that way? Um, so you knew he was listening to the station and, and uh, I don't know if it'd be fair to say one was more involved in the day-to-day operations, but I can see that distinction in there. Uh, in their day-to-day duties there. Um, who else was around that helped you get comfortable? You mentioned uh, Rob and Eliana in the music office, which was a very small room. Yes, it was. Floor to ceiling with records and, and eventually CDs and things like that. You yeah. mentioned Tony and and Stu and, and Rich. Who else was around that was helping you get comfortable? You know, the guys that I hung out with there, you know, Steve Oling was, we played, we would play a lot of games of one-on-one basketball, which I think I won one out of like 50. Um, and, but we, so we hung out outside the station, uh, this guy, my friend, Joe Lavecki, who was the station manager and program director, I think we were very close, uh, Rich Radabali, uh, Doug Oaken, Andrew Schmertz, this guy, Dave Wilkie. And, you know, there were also other people that I was friends with who weren't maybe Mr. Mrs. Radio, but like other, they were radio production people like my friend, Brian Burton. Um, so there was a lot of people. Rye Williams was really nice. Um, oh man, I'm spacing on a few names, but there was Penelope Owens, even Dave Mock. I knew a little bit. I started to get to know some of those guys. And, um, but you know, Tony Sibilla was very welcoming because we were both Italian guys from Long Island, you know, and they had softball games, like come to the softball game. So things like that. It was, it was a very welcoming place. Oh, that's fun. Was that that softball games uh, just among the radio station people? Or were you playing like fraternities? I think you might or... have played the TV nerds. I call them radio geeks and TV nerds. But <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was the other way around. I don't remember. But anyway, yeah, I believe so. Or he, Tony had kind of set it up. So uh, that 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 sounds like a lot of fun, and, and the nicknames um, sound pretty appropriate. You you mentioned being from Long Island. Were you commuting to the to Hofstra, or no, were you living on campus? When I transferred, I made it a point to really want to live there, like because I had commuted to Stony Brook. So even though I was I grew up in Comac, I was relatively close, maybe 40, 45 minutes um, from Hofstra. I wanted to live there, and I that's why I really threw myself in into Hofstra, into WRHU, and the TV station. Yeah, uh, that that sounds right. So you were probably at the the office at Memorial Hall and their production studios or at Dempster quite often since you were yes. living on campus, and that probably helped in terms of getting access to all these programs and all these uh, facilities. Yes, it did. Was there a point other than doing the sports broadcast where you started to feel comfortable on the air, or because your your interest sort of went? towards working in the studio, was there a moment where you felt comfortable uh, technically or behind the mic and you thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying this? Yeah, I really enjoyed doing the rock and roll show uh, my senior year. I think I did it on Thursday nights and I had a lot of friends outside of the, the radio TV world and they would call in requests. And at one point, 
I was doing Thursday nights and I would do the last hour. I would try and come up with a theme for the last hour. And, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, songs with great guitar solos or really long songs or, you know, whatever right. I would try and come up with songs that say the word yellow. I don't know, whatever it was, I would try and do an hour of a, a theme. So I was very comfortable doing, doing the shows. Um, and I never really got nervous on the air. I did have a gaffe though, doing news one time though, where we uh-huh. laughed for like, we were, I was reading a news piece and it was a news update and Steve Oling, I think was in the room with me and we laughed for like three minutes. I, I lost pronunciation of a name and it was uh, an Asian premiere. I don't remember if it was China or North Korea. No, it wasn't. Anyway, I don't remember, but I couldn't pronounce the name and we started laughing and we got the giggles and I laughed and then he laughed and I, we got back and no, I don't remember anybody coming down on us, but we had a good two and a half minutes of pretty much all out laughter. On the air. On the air. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Uh, was this maybe during the rock show? or, or I don't, I don't recall. I don't recall what it was. I, I imagine if it were on the classics from Hofstra, you would have gotten a phone call. So <laughs> probably something in the evening. Um, so speaking of laughing, this is something we were talking about uh, beforehand and, and something that you shared. You worked on... I wouldn't call it a program, but uh, these these comedy bits, these pieces called Two Guys Talking with Brian yes. Burton. That's Where great. did that come from? Um, you know, Brian and I were out somewhere one day and we were with the, some of the other uh, radio people. And I don't know how it came about, but somebody had said, uh, what if we did something like a Beavis and Butthead, but you know, deadhead version of it, you know, like just really super mellow. Hey, Hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Nothing. So it was all these long pauses and I don't know. We thought it was funny and I don't know if we were, I don't know who was in charge at the time. If it was Rye and Williams or uh, Eileen DeCalias, but we ran it by a couple of people, Rich, Richard graduated, but you know, I kind of just said, we're doing this. And they said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was my last fall year. So I had spent all summer there. Um, so the previous summer, I worked the full summer there. And Jeff had said, oh, I'll pay for your housing if you work from 8 to 12 every day. And I said, okay. So he put me up in Tower E or F. And I was there every morning doing a news thing and, and NPR, running an NPR tape that we got and all kinds of other stuff that I don't recall. But anyway, yeah, so I did, I did that in the fall. That was my last fall semester. So it was a blast making those things. Brian and I would go down to the studio after around 11 o'clock every Sunday night with no idea and a bag of potato chips because we were always eating something. Right. And um, at the beginning of each episode for some stupid reason. And then uh, that's been, it was really fun making them. And that's when I was doing a lot of the multi-track audio. And that's, that's really where I enjoyed the radio theater of aspect of it all. Um, I was trying to come up with, sort of an elevator pitch or a tagline for what two guys talking is. I think at some point we'll, we'll share, depending on, on when this comes out, we'll, we'll share the episode. So maybe people have heard it, but if you could, if you could sell two guys talking in, in a couple of words or a phrase or 30 seconds, how would you do it? Well, I think, you know, Beavis and Butthead, but much mellower, you know, a deadhead version of those two guys talking about nothing really with a sly joke thrown in now and then. I don't know. I'm not a good elevator sales guy. No, that's that. that I, I'm 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 hooked. I'm I'm sold. And these were just produced, and they were sort of 
in the studio available to be used, not quite at any time, obviously, again, not during the classics. Right. No, they ran them throughout the day. Like you'd be in the bookstore or something else, and you'd hear, now here's two guys talking. (laughs) (laughs) So it got a little following, you know, they were funnier. Some of them were funnier than others. There's one that's country music themed. And I remember Sue Zizzer making a comment like, Conway Twitty is very successful. And we kind of, we didn't make fun of him, but he's mentioned in it or something. (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) I didn't know how to respond to it. Um, yeah, and talking to Sue that when she, when she was an undergraduate, she took over a country and Western program and she had never listened to country music before and sort of had to learn it uh, from the audience by people calling in. And she, I guess right. she got a little protective of, of the genre because of that experience. But um, Well, the yeah, funniest part was we were actually in Staten Island, which we were like, let's go West. So we went to Staten Island. <laughs> but no overall you know i really enjoyed the doing the multi-track thing and sue and and jeff and tom Curley really pushed the radio theater and the drama of all that stuff and they produced an, a live show of our town i don't know if you ever heard that mm-hmm. uh, but it was like people on stage and you doing the play and it was being broadcast you could go watch it but all the sounds and stuff were done by me and a bunch of other people on stage. And I was in charge of the, there were some pre-recorded sounds and I was on those like a lot of, you know, thunder and lightning and stuff and storms and things that you couldn't do on stage. But I really loved that radio theater. It was a lot of fun. So you were doing the Foley work for live theater production that was going out over the air. Yes. Other people were doing the live Foley work. I was, I had done pre-recorded sound effects that I would hit play. So some of them were pre-recorded that we would hit play and other people were doing the live Foley sounds. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was, it was incredible. So, so you mentioned that earlier and I should have asked earlier. So, so how did, how did you get introduced to radio theater or was it one of those things like, Hey, we need somebody. Are you interested? Um, You know, I really don't recall. It was kind of just, part of the education though you know you worked your way up from the two track up and that's the way to learn it you know i believe uh i i know the radio theater was near and dear to to jeff's heart and to sue's heart so uh for some people that becomes a priority while they're at the station it seems like you were doing that and a bunch of other things at the same time yeah i mean i definitely was trying to find what what I thought I was good at, you know, you kind of, I did a lot of everything and eventually something stuck. And I think the thing that stuck was the multi-track audio production. Cause and then at the end of my, that extra semester, I produced um, a, a thing called silence, a fable, which had won a big awards from the AES, which I don't recall what that stands for. Um, but we went out to LA Hofstra paid for me and my friend Craig Rosasco produced this thing. It was called silence, a fable. We had to do a senior project. It was really for our senior multi-track audio project. And Jeff had said, why don't you do Silence of Fable? It's an Edgar Allan Poe piece. And I said, okay. And he goes, oh, I'll read it. And I said, okay. And uh, this is a good Jeff story too. So I know you always ask about Jeff. So he read it one time, you know, one take. And it was great. And I asked him to read a second part again, like another take. And he glare, the glare I got through the glass. <laughs> like, look, like how dare he ask me to read it again? But he did. And I don't remember if it was any different or I don't remember why I wanted him to read this other take. But, you know, I was ballsy enough to say, hey, could you read this again? I had certain level of professionalism at that time where I knew what I wanted. And 
And I asked him, I don't remember if we used the second take or not, but the thing came out really, really good. Like we were, we were blown away at how good it came out. And we entered it. And we won. We went out and out to LA and won this drama, multi-track audio drama award. And we got up on stage and I told the two worst jokes on the planet that my friend Craig still busts my chops over. But um, it, we had a really nice time out there and it was, it was very rewarding. Wow, what a great experience! Um, and and just that Jeff nailed it in one take is <laughs> almost one, almost one. <laughs> I can I can see the glare. I oh, can see the glare. He was not happy. He's like, "What? Another take? What are you talking about?" Oh, that's hilarious! Um, oh, the hubris of youth. I, I, I suppose <laughs> if if you'd known any better, you would have you would never have asked. But I, I guess he went along, so it worked out. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, I love that. Um, you, you kind of alluded to this at the, at the beginning that you had an idea of, of where you wanted to go, but I'm hoping you can go back to your mindset at 19 or, or so whenever you started Hofstra Radio. Um, you know, what did you hope the station would be and what did it become? That's a great question. And I've heard you ask other people that. And I, I, I'm not really sure. I just knew I wanted to get involved and do something in radio and entertainment. And, you know, I guess my first thought would probably be DJing a rock and roll show, which I eventually got to do. And I was initially attracted to sports and because that was something easy for me. I knew a lot of sports. I followed sports and that was a great way to get to know people. Um, It was just a great entryway into meeting people and becoming comfortable that were both radio and TV uh, majors. Um, And I didn't know what it would become. I wasn't sure where in the world in entertainment, there's so many different kinds of jobs to do that I didn't know where it would lead. And I'm a video editor now, and I would never have thought that at the time. By my end of my senior year, I kind of had a sense that I wanted to do editing, but I would never have known even then when I walked in the door that I would be an an editor. Hmm. That's great stuff. Um, Charlie, these, these stories have been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share them. And thank you for your time. And uh, hopefully you've got a few more stories. I'm going to work on some more questions and let's do this again. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to say, you know, I have to, I have to thank my career to a guy from WRHU. Um, oh, really? Well, because I was, we went to one of the dinners one year uh, in the spring and there was an alumni who I was talking to who did audio for films. And I said, oh, I was thinking of interest. Uh, I was interested in editing I, and I didn't know why, but that was the point. That's when I learned that. And he said, oh, um, I can send you this book. It's called The Yellow Book. It was the small yellow pages of all these different industries pertaining to radio, to radio, film and not radio, film and TV production. So he sent the book to the radio station and I got it. And because of that book, I went and handed out resumes to all these editing companies. I looked up editing and, and there was a difference in that world. There's editing commercials and there's film editing movies. And I just handed out anything that said editing. And most of them were commercials in New York City. It's mostly commercial editing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in the commercial editing business because of this guy who gave me that book. And I don't know who he was. Oh, you don't remember his name? I don't remember his name. I just I, nothing. Oh. Never got to thank him. So if that guy remembers and he's listening, I'm thanking him now. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what, what a great uh, world of access that, you know, the, the things that you don't even know that you don't know uh, when you're starting a career. You, you you jump into radio and you learn all these things and you think, well, I think I know what I want to do. And then there's a whole nother uh, 
set of jobs and, and skills out there you don't know about that. What a, yeah, what, a, what a great conversation. That's uh, just that offhand conversation at the dinner changes absolutely. everything. Anyway, thank you, Brian. It's been really nice chatting with you. Oh, thank you.